If you could turn in your Bibles to uh, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6, we're reading verses 1 through 4. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It reads, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. God, open our ears to receive your word. God, may your Holy Spirit quicken our hearts. God, may you bind my words to yours. God, that I might only say your words this morning, God. And if I say anything besides them, God, that you would close the ears of this congregation. God, in my ears as well, God. God, that we might this morning only receive your truth given to us by your grace and by your mercy, through the work of your Son. Amen. When Steve asked me to preach this week, um, he asked me to continue his his sermon series in the book of Ephesians, and uh, I looked at the next passage that was up, and it was the marriage passage, and I thought, no, um, I'm not going to do that. I don't have enough experience yet, and... uh, and uh, at any rate, um, Steve had just preached a long series on marriage not that long ago, and, and frankly, I just don't know enough to say differently that I wouldn't just be repeating him. And so I thought, well, let's go for something easier. And instead, I came to this passage and, um, and really resisted the urge to talk about this because you know, I'm, a, I'm a youth worker here, and, uh, and I didn't want, this seemed like such a, a youth worker sort of thing to, to speak on. And I was like, I don't, I don't think I want to, you know, be pigeonholed like that, and I don't want to have to talk about that because it just seems like such a stereotypical thing for me to talk about. And then I thought, well, what am I afraid of here? It's the Word of God. It's the next thing up. Let's just go for this and just see how it happens. And then I realized I was still talking to myself at that point and, uh, and figured we need to get into preparing this lesson and, um, and realize that since I work um, with your students, this is a very sensitive topic. And, and let me just say it on the outset. I, 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 you know, my, my oldest daughter is four years old. I don't know if I'm a good parent or not, really. I, I hope I am. I hope that God has been gracious um, to my daughters, that I've taught them some things about the Lord, that I've not exasperated them, even though I'm sure I have exasperated them several times. Um, I, I'm just prone to exasperate people, and my children are people. And, and, but, but the Bible, the Bible does suppose to teach us things about how to parent. And... If you're underneath authority, not just as a child, but underneath any authority, and you're in this room, which, by the way, is all of you, are underneath some authority, the Bible does suppose to tell you how to listen and obey. And we just can't get away from that. That the Bible is going to get into your life. It is going to criticize the way that you lead people, and it's going to criticize the way that you let yourself be led by people. It is going to attack... um, (laughs) Your pride when it comes to how you go about things is going to attack your pride when it comes that you think that you're above the law. The Bible is here to get you because it wants to draw you to the foot of the cross where grace and mercy really are. Which, by the way, is not where your pride is. 
There is no grace and mercy where your pride is. It is only found at the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. With that being said, can, can we all agree that, um, that Presbyterians aren't always the friendliest when it comes to talking about parenting models? Is that okay to say? I hope so, because I said it. Um, I, I, that there's, there's controversy wrapped up in, in parenting models and these sorts of things, and I'm going to try to avoid a lot of that honestly, because I think those are questions that you have to answer um, for yourself in your own household, um, whether it's how you, um, you school your children, um, you know, how you go about um, teaching your children um, the Bible, um, how you go about letting them um, learn about the world, how you go about letting your children um, learn about evangelism. I think those are, methodologically, those are questions that you have to answer for your own household. But maybe the Bible here pre- uh, provides us with some principles um, to guide uh, those decisions by um, as you're making those decisions. And I hope that, um, that we would be gracious with one another as we're trying to figure this out. Um, there are no perfect parents um, I thought I might have been until about five minutes into parenting, and, and I'm not a perfect parent. I, you know, I, so, so please work with me and show me grace as I try to show you grace as we try to figure this out together. But I think a working model when we talk about being obedient and having authority is this. Is that obedience to earthly authorities, chiefly your parents when you were young, is a picture of obedience to God. You are meant to learn how to be obedient to God through obeying those who are in authority over you. And when you have authority, it is meant to be a display and a picture of the character and the glory of God. That when you exercise authority over others, when you exercise authority over your children, over your employees, over anybody who's under you, it is meant to be a picture of the gracious authority and glory of God in our lives. And when I came to that conclusion in preparing this lesson, I thought, well, that's, that's serious. This isn't the kind of thing that we should mess up. This isn't the kind of thing that we should take lightly. See, I think that our flesh defaults to obeying the authority that we can see. That this is God being gracious, that God is teaching us how to obey him who is unseen by being gracious enough to allow us to have seen authority in our lives. That we are more prone to do the right thing when the authority is looking at us right in the face, especially when we're young. You know, um, that's why um, (laughs) so many of you are more prone to do bad things when your authority is not around um, than when your authority is around. When maybe you you sit up a bit straighter uh, when your parents are around. Uh, Maybe uh, maybe you're like me and you drive the speed limit when the cops are around. Um, You know, and you decide to do that. I remember uh, getting pulled over not that long ago because I didn't have my seatbelt on. And and I saw the police officer and instantly just put my seatbelt on. which in the case of looking guilty is probably the worst thing you can possibly do. But I saw him, and I instantly thought, oh man, i got to put my seatbelt on, right? And um, I wanted to tell him I was so impressed that he could see, first of all, through the car, because he asked me, did you have your seatbelt on? Well, no, I didn't. But thank you, officer, because you reminded me to put it on, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and that, wasn't, that wasn't good enough for him. Um, um, he gave, me, he gave me a warning. I, I didn't get a ticket that time, but uh, um, he's more gracious than the photographs that take pictures of your license plate. But I was reminded then that, that God gives us these visible signs of authority as an act of grace to teach us about the nature of the true authority, which is God. And as such, 
Let me, let me say this first to the children and the students in this room. If you ascribe yourself as being a mature believer and you, and you don't respect your parents, then just stop, stop calling yourself a mature believer. Just, just don't, because it's not true. And listen, when I, when I was in high school, I became a Christian my freshman year of high school. And I treated my parents so awful all the way through high school. So disrespectful, especially to my father. The things I said to him, I wish I could take back. The things I said to him because I thought I was a mature Christian, man, I really wish I could take those things back. You know, I, had to, I, I owed them an apology. I had to apologize to my parents. Sorry that I called myself a Christian. Even before they called themselves Christians. Sorry that I called myself a mature Christian yet said some of the awful things that I said to my parents. Man, what an, what an act of deception that was, that I really thought that this picture that was over me of my parents that was supposed to teach me to obey the unseen God that God had provided for me, that I thought that I could just be as rude to them as I possibly could, yet, yet aspire myself and, uh, and ascribe to myself this maturity as a Christian, that I was some great young man, that, man, my parents were sure lucky to have me, and they just didn't know it. But can we fairly say that for those of us now who are outside of our parents' homes, who maybe do, maybe don't have children of our own, that if we consider ourselves mature Christians, yet if we can't submit to our sessions and our ministers, don't ascribe to yourself maturity as a Christian. You see, we are such an anti-authority culture I think that we, we put our children at such a disadvantage. Why? Because, because our heroes in our culture, in our society, are anti-authority heroes. I remember watching a movie called The Italian Job about eight or nine years ago. Do you all remember that movie? Um, um, where you know, the, the protagonists in the movie, is, it's a bunch of bank robbers. And, um, and they're getting their revenge back on these people who they had like, stolen a bunch of money from a bank, and then someone else stole their money that they had stolen. So they're getting their money back from the people that had stolen their money. And we're like, yeah, get them. You know, like... Why? What, what, what is it about that that we just, that we just love so much that as Americans? We, we love these, these John Wayne type of, we take the law into our own hands. We rise above authority. And as a culture, we just cheer for that, don't we? It's not all over the place. And, and, you know, and maybe um, as adults, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting more stern about people's music. And we talk about rap music all the time. You know, that rap music is teaching people to be anti-authority. And in a lot of cases, it really is. Um, that, that gangster rap, especially, um, which I don't even know if gangster rap is as big as it was when I was in high school, but, but really just glorified people who, who <laughs> murdered cops and who rose above the law. And we feel really proud and haughty standing beside in, the, in these pulpits. But then I remember, you know what, the kind of music I play? I'm a country music singer for fun. And man, that's not riddled with rebellion, is it? That doesn't have rebellion all over it, does it? Well, of course it does. Think about Hank Williams Jr. telling his boss to take his job and you know what with it. And, and I think about um, even guys that I, 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 I marvel at, like Johnny Cash. And, and how it just, this anti-authority mindset just, just permeates everything in our cultures. And I think that we'd be lying to ourselves if we think that hasn't permeated the church. If we think that has nothing to do with why there are so many denominations, even, even just around us, 
from so many people who whenever they were to sit underneath the authority of their session, this is not every case. I understand there are, there are bad sessions. I understand that. But how many times have we sat underneath the authority of sessions and of ministers and of leadership and have been asked to do something by them and instead we just took our ball and we went home because it wasn't what we liked? What's even harder is when we do that and then we turn around and we try to teach our children anything about obedience. You see, I'm, I'm one of those kids that, you know, that grew up kind of in the wrong part of town and, and learned to fight for everything you've got and learned to argue for everything that you have. And, and that terrifies me as a father now with two daughters of my own, thinking, how is, how is the fighter, the one that when his back is up against the wall, um, I saw this, uh, this video on YouTube of this person who had accidentally trapped a bobcat um, in a trap, and, um, and I don't know if he knew this, but when you try to help a bobcat escape from a trap, it's not happy with you that it's in the trap in the first place. It's not like, oh, thank you, my leg is going to feel so much better. They, generally speaking, are pretty um, upset that they're in the trap in the first place, and they're going to take it out on you, even if you're the greatest human being in the world. And thought, man, that's how I am so often. When I'm cornered, when I'm trapped, and I feel like immobile, when I feel like my back is against the wall, I just start fighting. I never think to myself, man, maybe I should just trust the Lord here and see what he's going to do. I get defensive. I start, I start bucking against the system and thinking, no, no, really, no, really. Like, like you just, you don't understand. You don't understand. I'm the one that's right here. You're going to give me my way. And then you start thinking to yourself, well, you know, it's not, it's not what they told me to do. It's how they told me to do it. Isn't that a default, by the way? It's not what you said, it's how you said it. That's what bothered me. And so out of principle, because of how you said it, I'm just not going to obey. Man, it terrifies me to think about having to teach my children to be obedient to me because it gives them a picture of God. How important is it that we, that we obey? It's so important that even when you disagree with the authority over you, if it's not a moral issue, just obey. Why? Do your heart the good. Do your heart the good that it needs to have done to it by just saying, you know what? That's not what I would do, but okay. That's not what I would do, but you know what? That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. We're going to move forward with your plan instead of my plan. I'm not saying don't put an input. I'm not saying it's wrong um, to ask your children what it is that they would prefer to do in that situation and maybe going with their plan. I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to say, hey, you know what? Hey, can I, can I just share my thoughts on this? But at the end of the day, when the person's in authority over you, the best thing you can do for your soul is just to say, okay, I disagree, but from here on out, let's move forward. Let's go ahead with this. There's, no, there's nothing good for your soul to be found in just disagreeing for the sake of disagreeing, maybe because you think that your idea is better than the person who has placed an authority over you. That's why students, um, I'm going to do my best to always tell you to just listen to your parents when they tell you to do things. That's why I'm never really going to argue with your parents if they tell you that you can't come to a youth group because you've got homework or because they want you to stay home with the family. I'm not going to argue with them about that. Because it's good for you to listen. And maybe you don't like it. Maybe I don't like it. Maybe I'd prefer to have you there. Um, um, 
But I have to believe that the authority that God has placed in your life really is what's most important for you. And I really have to believe that I need to build up your ability to serve well inside of your own home. I remember getting this really humbling lesson. Um, I worked at uh, Vanderbilt um, University Medical Center um, for a couple of years before I came here while I was raising money. Um, we had uh, Eden, our daughter, and um, you know, we, I found myself just in need of more um, employment. And so for a while, I worked two full-time jobs. Um, I worked at uh, the church as a youth director um, in Tennessee. Then I worked at Vanderbilt University Medical Center uh, as a, um, a patient care tech, which is um, like a CNA but with less credentials. And I was drawing blood and doing blood pressures and doing EKGs and these sorts of things. And I thought I ran the world because, you know, I had come from um, a church where, you know, um, as a minister, sometimes if things are going well, it's it's easy to feel good about yourself. Um, You know, you'll have people who listen to what you say. And then I I go to Vanderbilt and I don't know if you knew this, but when you're a CNA and you're around doctors and nurses and all you do is take blood pressures and do EKGs, nobody really listens to what you have to say. Um, You know, no one's like, well, doctor, I don't know if that diagnosis was quite correct. You know, no no one really cares, you know, and. And, um, and I remember um, getting bored. And um, when I'm bored, I'm like, I'm like a hound dog. I start digging, you know, and, and I start getting in trouble and, and these sorts of things. And, and I remember one day, it was so humbling. This doctor that I really liked, a doctor named Dr. Robert Piana, um, who I really, really liked, um, called the nursing manager because I wasn't doing my blood pressures right. Now, if you've ever taken more than five blood pressures, you know how embarrassing that is. That I kept missing blood pressures. And um, <laughs> I remember getting called in to the office. Joe, you're missing blood pressures. And you're being sloppy with your work and you're not doing a good job. And this is, now keep in mind, I thought this was the easiest job on planet Earth. The easiest job on planet Earth. And I remember thinking to myself, well, it doesn't matter who I think I am if I can't do what I'm supposed to do. It doesn't matter how smart I think I am. It doesn't matter how, how um, brilliant <laughs> they just don't understand that I am. If I can't do my job and listen, then there's no respect there for me and there's no integrity. And I remember um, the doctor, Dr. Piano, coming up to me a couple of days later because instantly, you know me, I'm kind of confrontational and I wanted to walk up to him and just, and just say, Dr. Piano, I'm sorry. He's like, I don't have time right now, Joe. We're in clinic. And he comes up to me about a week later and um, he was a really tall guy or maybe he just looked tall to me because I'm not. But he, um, remember he, he stood next to me and I stood up and shook his hand and he said, Joe, I like you. You seem like a good guy. My patients like you. But I got concerned when you couldn't do your job anymore. And it means a lot that you can do your job. That I don't have to go back in and do your work for you. And you seem like a great guy, but can you, can you work on that? And he, he was great. You know, we, we left on good terms. And, and man, I learned a lesson. <laughs> that God doesn't want me to go around in life feeling legitimized. God wants me to follow the authority that he has placed in my life so that I can learn how to obey him so that even when I think that what he wants me to do is silly, even what I think that he wants me to do is outlandish, even what he wants me to do makes absolutely no sense to me or it doesn't feel like the best thing at that moment, doesn't seem like the best thing at that moment, that because I've trained my heart to obey by obeying the worldly authorities placed over me that I can obey the unseen God 
who tugs at my heart in ways that I'll only be sensitive to if I'm walking in righteousness. My mentor, uh, Matt McIntosh in college, the guy that married uh, my wife and I, um, was a wonderful man. He's now a church planner in Norman, Oklahoma, um, used to say that there are all sorts of things in the Bible that you don't have to pray about because you just know that they're the right thing to do. And obedience to earthly authorities is one of those things. As a side note down here, I say that dis, uh, disobedience on spiritual grounds is really quite rare uh, and extreme and should always be accompanied by a willingness to accept the consequences, which means this. If you have to disobey because it violates your religion, it violates your walk with God, um, which, by the way, happens very rare and does not include things like having to clean your room, <laughs> then be willing to accept the consequences of your disobedience so that you're still sitting underneath the authority of the person over you. That does not take you out of the situation. Martin Luther King, um, in the 60s, um, wrote a letter um, to the, um, the people on the streets in the civil rights movement. Don't fight back against the cops, and when they arrest you, don't run. Go to jail. Why? Because you're still underneath their authority. If you're asked to do something that you can't do on spiritual grounds, and you end up getting fired by it, I'm sorry, but... Glory, glory that you would bear the cross with Jesus Christ, that you would suffer in such a situation. The rest of this passage says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Which reminds me that when it comes to the lives of my, my daughters, um, the, the small piece of authority that you give me in the lives of your students that the most important thing I need to keep in mind when I'm exercising authority over my children and maybe your children at times is um, to teach them to love the Lord and to follow the Lord. That that's really the most important thing. That's, that's the whole of it. That everything I do has to be about teaching the people who are under my authority to follow the instruction of the Lord. That there really is nothing, to, nothing more to it than that. That... The tone of my voice, that the way I go about things, that the reasons why I discipline them for things must be to teach them about the Lord. Why? Because I'm teaching them about the Lord one way or another. I'm either teaching them the right things or the wrong things about the Lord. And, you know, in counseling um, young men, you'll hear this said a lot. They'll say things like, your father, you know, you know if they had a bad father, was supposed to be the biggest influence in your life. And I'm thinking to myself, no, your father was the biggest influence in your life. Just not for the positive. You see, we are always influencing the people that we have authority over. It's just not always for the good. But the influence certainly is always there. How you lead in your home, how we lead at church, how we lead in the workplace, since it's a shadow of the authority that God has over us, we'll either paint a good picture or a bad picture of the character of God. And I think that just stands to reason, doesn't it? That if God is giving us these things as shadows, then poorly exercising the shadow teaches poor things. 
So I have to ask these kinds of questions to myself. Am I simply teaching my children legalism? Is there, is there, is there goodness, is there behavior simply wrapped up in my comfort? Is... <laughs> My daughter likes to talk. My oldest daughter really likes to talk a whole lot. And because um, um, she's a four-year-old girl, and I, I suppose that's how they all are. Um, but, um, but if I ever tell her to be quiet, <laughs> I have to think, am I telling her to just be quiet right now because she's getting on daddy's nerves? And if so, then what am I teaching her about God? Man, what am I teaching her about God? See, I think the fastest way to exasperate our children is just to teach them all sorts of things that have nothing to do with the Lord. <laughs> and maybe, maybe, maybe our children are really, really well behaved. Um, and I've been around a lot of children that were really, really well behaved. I, I, I'm not talking about any of your children. I promise. I'm, I'm not just saying that to say that. <laughs> I, I hope, I hope you. Um, I've been here almost three years. I hope that you know me well enough to know that if I really thought there was a major problem I would just come talk to you about it but um, and I hope that's true about myself but you know I've met children that were so well behaved and their parents took so much pride in how well behaved they were but didn't care about lost people and and they would say things like you know I feel like I feel like my walk with God is all just about head knowledge and there's no there's no heart to it I feel like it's, I just, I know that they'll say, I know how to do all the right things. I know how to do all the right things. They'll say, I know all the right things and I can do all the right things. And I think that's tragic because I think to myself, man, they think they're doing the right things. And who taught them that? Man, they think that being well-behaved is the end-all, be-all. And that if they're well-behaved, then they're doing all the right things. Man, who taught them that? And how far is that faith going to sustain them? How far is that faith going to take them in their lives? That's a scary thought. We can exasperate our children by just using them to fill up our own emotional needs. Maybe we're lonely, we're just using our children. Maybe we become at times more concerned with being our child's friend than with being their parent. Maybe with looking cool than uh, with actually being a good parent. And um, who here has seen the show The Office? I'm not recommending anything from the pulpit here, by the way. I, I don't recommend TV shows or movies from the pulpit because that gets youth pastors fired in a hurry. But, um, but um, there's this boss, uh, Michael Scott, who's the boss, and he wants to be the cool boss that everybody likes. And it's just so obvious that he's the biggest tool in the world. And, uh, and, he, and he wears out everybody around him because he thinks he's like the coolest guy in the world, right? And um, we'll say all these like worn out sayings from years ago and all these sorts of things and and then, like, we'll get his feelings hurt really easy if anybody messes back with him and this kind of stuff. And, and man, that's exasperating, too, when we try so hard to just look cool. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I, you know, as, as a youth worker, you know, constantly have to, um, have to resist that urge. And I know that you all thought, well, maybe if the youth director is younger, um, then he'll relate to the kids better. I was the biggest dork in high school that you'd ever met in your entire life. And at 28 years old and married for six and a half years, I don't relate to the kids anymore. I don't wear the same clothes. I don't listen to the same music. Um, so I have to resist the urge to try to look cool to them, to make them like me. Why? To build myself up. Why? Because that exasperates them, and they can see right through it in any ways. And they're just bearing with my insecurities 
whenever I do that. I hope that you all see um, that when we read passages like this, if, you, if you're out of your, your parents' household and you don't have kids, I, I, um, I hope that you all, you all see that this passage isn't just talking about children, um, that the early systematic theologians um, were, were really quick to realize that, um, that we call, in the Old Testament, they would call kings fathers, that people in authority over us in the Old Testament, they, they, they were known as, they would call them fathers, that to call your king your father was not a weird thing to do, that the... the um, the expectation here is that this was talking about everybody with any sort of authority, and we can go on in this passage and see what it talks about slaves and masters next. And I think those two thoughts are tied together. Why? Because this isn't just about parents and children. This is about your entire life. There is no point in which you are outside of authority. And if we ever find ourselves there, it's usually a bad thing. We think about King David uh, when he was outside of authority, when he had no accountability in his home life. That's when his life falls apart. That this is a good thing that God has done for us. It teaches us the truth about the fact that even, even King David, thinking that he had no earthly authorities over him, still had the heavenly authority over him. That he still had to answer for his sins. I hope we don't just make the mistake of thinking that this only applies in our household. Why? Because then we end up doing things like this. Like going to work and just complaining about our bosses all the time. And then expecting others to listen to us when we have anything to say about the authority of God. It doesn't work. Now we say all this with, with a, the hint of grace and mercy, understanding this, that, that God is the good king and God is the good father. That Jesus Christ was the obedient son. That, they, <laughs> that Jesus Christ was obedient and perfect to the point of death. And that we need that sacrifice so bad. That we need that picture so bad of the good father and the son who was obedient to the point of death to do for us what we can never do. You see, because here's the thing is that without the gospel, we are always a bad example. We are always skewing the picture. And it's only through the grace of God that we ever get it right. And it's only by the grace of God that my children... um, will not be the neurotic products of a neurotic father. And it's only by the grace of God that I as a child, and that I as an employee, ever listen. That as all of this points us to Jesus, we can't get mired in the legalism of just being good troops. We can't just get in the, mired in the legalism of just being good captains. That all of this truly is meant to point us to the gospel. When Jesus Christ did for us what we could never do for ourselves when he died in our place to pay the price that we deserve to pay for every act of disobedience to God that we have ever committed. Even if it was to someone that was an under-shepherd of of, of God's, um, whether it was our parent or anyone else, all of it was sin against God. And we need all of that disobedience paid for by the work of his son, Jesus Christ. So as we come now to the communion table, we readily confess to God our disobedience and our tyranny. We readily confess to God our insecurities as leaders, our lack of trust as followers. And we long for the security that we find in the gospel and in the presence of God.
Let us pray. God, use your word to strengthen us. God, tear us down where we need to be torn down. God, and build us up where we need to be built up. God, show us that you are the good father who loves us. And that your son was the good son who died for us. Can you say this? In your son's name through whom we come to you, and are not consumed by our wrath, but are greeted as children. Amen.